And hey. live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. Time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over science fiction passions, fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. Without further ado, here is JR and our guest, Mel Todd. All right, so... That's where we ask the guest to introduce herself. Oh, sorry. Oh. Well, <laughs> tell us about yourself. I'm sorry. We're still getting a hang of this. I'm Rusty. Hi. <laughs> I'm Mel Todd. I'm an author of about 20-some novels. And my newest one is an urban fantasy series that Seska and JR twisted my arm to come here and talk about today. Well, it's a great series, and that's why, because I love the book. I love this series. So, uh, JR, how did you first come across the amazing Mel? So, when we were still doing the uh, podcast by the other shenanigan name, uh, we were looking for guests, and you said, uh, not to be bossy, but I'm going to tell you exactly how to run this podcast I just joined. And by the I way, we're not tell Mel. you that at all. Uh, well, Mel, you've known her longer. Does that sound about right? Yes, that was probably word for word what she did. <laughs> so that's how I met her. I met so her I'd like you. to point oh. out that it is funny that J.R. and I actually have heard of each other for at least probably two years before we ever met. And we were... We we were just corrected uh, a great in injustice. Question. There you go. It's, we we were in Vegas together, too. <laughs> yeah, I never even wanted to go place. to Vegas with her. What you didn't go to Vegas with her? She, oh, you felt no. you got cheated. I did, apparently. Yeah. There was just like smoke and emphysema and helplessness and despair. And you know. it is the world's safest place, though, to have a heart attack. Yeah. All right. So, how did you meet her? <laughs> Booze. Uh, uh, <laughs> we on. were at Liberty Con and it, we were in. The con suite, and I think it was Mel's first Liberty Con. I actually, I was serving her booze. It was she was serving me booze. Con. And I was clinically insane at the time, and that's okay. So was I. Hot, funny chick that I was flirting with because, well, it was something to do because I was behind the bar. As you do, you know, it happens. It, Mel and I have spent much time together around <laughs> bars. Is it mostly the Bane Bar or other ones too? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> both. We'll Why not both? Yes. Yeah. All right. So, Mel, a religion question. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Honor Harrington. David yes. Lover. Okay. And because we're polytheistic, we're going to ask one more. Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Potterverse? Oh, Potterverse. It's much more fun. Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings is just way too heavy and weighty after a while. Besides one's the murder day, fest and one's a walk through the woods. But they're gorgeous woods. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. There are other things that are gorgeous too, but you still get tired of seeing them. All right. Well, since we're here today to talk about your urban fantasy series, what do you love about fantasy as a genre? Clearly not Game of Thrones. That's what but you don't anything's love. Anything's possible. Okay. <laughs> it's not that I don't love Game of Thrones. It's just I get frustrated. And I mean, I've been a reader for a really, really, really long time. But when you're going years between books, I start getting frustrated because I need to know what else happens. So I'd rather read things that are completed, i.e. I've read Lord of the Rings. Fantasy is so recently. I happened to read Terry Pratchett's answer on fantasy, and he's right. Our very, very first stories were fantasy. What's causing the lightning and thunder? Oh, it must be the gods mad at us. Everything that human society is based that. on They're is right. based on fantasy. So, how can you not enjoy reading about? what's possible or what where our imagination can take us that's kind of like the what the definition of being human is is that imagination 
It's a good answer. It's a great answer. Sorry. That's why I, I, I love her. She has great answers. Philosophical on you. <laughs> All so, right. What was your first memory of reading, watching, playing games in this genre? Um, okay, so you know I'm old. I actually no, you're not. the very that they always say, well, what's your first series that you mean? remember reading the very first ones that i remember reading is john carter of mars and tarzan by edgar rice oh, burroughs good stuff and i pretty much read all of those as a kid and i am also the child who literally read every single book in the children's section of the library and the librarian had to was regularly ordering books on a weekly basis for me because i read so many of them Show off. So when you were talking about you're so old, I thought you were gonna make a joke and be like, my first series was the Bible. But um John oh, Carter of Mars is a good one. <laughs> it's a pretty hefty one, too. So did you like the movie I, that they made out of? Novels? I mean they were all pulp pulp novels, so they were all you know about the 40, 50,000 words because it was John Carter and it was Edgar Rice Burroughs and it was the Pellucidar series. And then my dad had Louis Lamours and Zane Gray's. And that was all stuff I read along with Wonder Woman. And and then because my parents are teachers, you've got, I read all the Nancy Drews, all the Hardy Boys, all the Margaret Henry books, all the Black Stallion books. (laughs) I read a lot. So did you like the uh, movie adaptation of uh, John Carter of Mars? You can be honest. I didn't hate it. I actually thought they did pretty good considering they were trying to modernize it. Yeah. I love, love, love the actress who played Deja. Uh, yes. Uh, that actress just nailed her. And honestly, I thought they did a pretty good jo- job with Tars Tarkin. I yeah. haven't seen it yet. John, <laughs> that I'm best with. They, um... They didn't do so well with the branding of it to make it obvious that it was John Carter of Mars and the Barsoom and all of that. But I, I think for what it was, it, it was good. I enjoyed it. I wish they'd make the, the sequel, but obviously that's not going to happen. So. Well, so how did your love of this transition you into writing the stories in it? <laughs> so I have a huge issue with magic a huge issue with magic. I have never understood why people are always like, oh, he's not a very powerful wizard. He can only use water. And I look at this and I go, the human body is 75% water. If I can even move an ounce of water, I can kill anybody I want. And I like the way you're going with this. Continue. What's tripping me up the wall that you would have these elementalists who, oh, I'm not very powerful. I can only move a bucket of water at a time. And I'm thinking, so you could kill anybody you wanted. You could blind people. I mean, you could do anything. So when I started with this idea, I wanted a way to do magic that was very precise and very controlled. And I have always mm-hmm. had this vague idea of a person who just has weird things happen to him. Well, I'm a really big That's because you've met me. Yeah, well. What if? Well, why? 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 So every answer I got, got to another answer. So I ended up creating this entire world. And like Cecil can tell you, this world is huge and it's complicated. And the funniest part of all of it... But it's not over... Sparingly complicated, though. Like, no, no. It is. You, it, okay, like when you come in and you look at a Sanderson novel, you know that thing is complicated. <laughs> okay, well, like, I'm not trying to chase people away. But that is, is fair. Is, is the funniest part of all of this is the in joke that humans think that they understand how magic works. And magic is sitting back looking at humans and laughing at them because it's magic. So does that mean magic has its... 
it, it's more of that whole thing from Jurassic Park, life will find a way. Yeah. That's kind of what this is. If you try to keep thinking you understand how it works, you're not getting it because it's magic. Okay. So is it um, sort of just like a force of nature in your world or is it almost sentient with its own sort of personality and agency? Yes, kind of, sort of. It's getting there. The problem is, is you really won't figure all of this out until the last book in the series. It's kind of like, have you ever read a new word and gone, wow, that's a really cool word. I've never seen it before. And it seems like in the next two weeks, that word appears four or five times. Yes. That's or you use it a dozen times in a sentence. Exactly. But you've never used it before. Magic is a lot like that. The more you find out about it, the more you realize it's affected your entire life. But until you start becoming aware of it, it's invisible. Okay. It's a complicated series. And I mean, even for me, at some times, I will be writing the series going, oh, that's what I meant that I mentioned in book one. And I'm currently on book five. Book four is really okay. good, though. <laughs> I only see three up on Amazon. That well, there's got to be some advantages to buying her with booze. <laughs> book four is with my editor, and as soon as I get it back, there will be a pre-order date up, but she says it's taking a little bit longer because oh. she, like most of my beta readers, keep telling me I forgot to edit it and have to go back and reread it. Good problem to have. Yeah, I did that. So... <laughs> All right. Full disclosure, I have I have I'm one of her beta readers, so that's why I'm making correct comments about book 4. So, we interviewed you on the old podcast uh, about your science fiction series. Um and if we can dig it from the archives, we'll we'll re-air it cuz we're going to be uh dear listener, we're going to be pulling some from the old YouTube channel to see if we can get that up so, since we lost a lot of it. But what did you love first? Was it your first love science fiction or was it fantasy? There's no difference. Uh-oh. You get tons of stories. <laughs> You're breaking poor JR's heart because he believes strongly that there's a difference and that there's all these crazy subgenres. No, As are, genres. There are subgenres. Yes, but no, but Jerry likes to treat them like the they're genres. Difference. I know. The only difference between fantasy and science is the language you use to tell the story. They are still stories of wonder. So there's no difference between fantasy and science fiction because you're still telling a story of wonder. The question is whether or not you use concrete uh, scientific principles to tell your story, or you use abstract myth-laden principles to tell your story. But it's still a story of wonder. It's just what words you use to describe how the wonder occurs and how the journey progresses. Okay. And that's your next deep thought for the day, brought to you by Reading Rainbow. <laughs> so uh, many authors let their own real life experiences influence the sort of stories they tell. So were there any formidable moments for you that shaped the kind of storyteller you are? I don't know about the storyteller I am. I mean, I know I've always told stories. I, I have manuscripts that I dug out of my trunk that I was writing as a 10 and 12 year old. Um, I know that I have a super secret pen name that isn't super secret that I have some romances under and I don't write romances under any, or I don't write romances anymore. And that's probably one of the things that I'm actually getting a lot of attention for in both my science fiction or actually my, it's my science or my urban science fiction and my urban fantasy is that there's no romance. There's no sex. 
there's relationships. There's just not any sexual plots or anything else like that. Well, no, it, but, and the nice is, thing is you have very healthy relationships. Yes. Oh, yes. No, there's relationships and there's healthy relationships. They're not perfect, but they're healthy. Get together. Yeah. But that isn't a plot line. There's no plot line of, oh, will these two ever get together? It's not there. Um, a lot of that comes from the fact that when I was writing romance, I really should never have been writing romance in the first place. I should have always been writing sci-fi or fantasy. Seska has seen my library. She understands that this is a true statement. Her um, library but... is gorgeous and sexy in its own right. I would say get a room, but she already apparently has one. <laughs> she did a YouTube, she did like a, a Facebook video where she showed her library. It was very, very drool worthy. So the ironic thing is, dear listener, because we got some comments about us on the episode two talking over the guest, and rightly so, that is not what's happening today. There's a little bit of a lag, which I find ironic since they're both in the same city. It's almost like Atlanta isn't ready for that much awesomeness. Aww. So we apologize in advance if, it, if there's a little bit of a, a lag and you're hearing it as, as interrupting. But um, so we're going to transition from there to the writing side, uh, from the writing side, excuse me, to the fan angle. So have you gotten any cool cosplay or fan art yet? Not yet. I, I've had a couple people message me out of the blue and somebody wanted to send me um, catnip for my cats. And I was like, well, I would, except for the fact that it's growing wild in the yard and the cats are perfectly capable of going and rolling in it themselves. But I've got a couple um, random, yep. oh my God, I had this book and it was awesome things. So cool. that was kind of cool. All right. And then has anyone asked for your autograph uh, in the public away from like an event or something? Uh, not yet. No. So I have one fan that I've known for a long time because he's read my fan fiction for years. And at some point, I'm going to have to send him some autographed books, but he's up in Canada and it's just a pain in the neck. Dave, I'm talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> so have you ever spotted anybody reading one of your books out of the wild? Not yet. I think this one's it's harder really now with all the ebook readers. Yeah, I'm like going unless they happen to have one of the few paperbacks. <laughs> it would okay. be really hard to tell if somebody was reading my book. Like when you're on the bus with them, if you just like start looking over their shoulder, like what are you reading? They get a little creeped yeah, out when you do it. They are. There's a reason we don't put you on the bus anymore. Mm. Oh. Okay. <laughs> all right. So save me from myself, Doc, and so ask the next question. So what is the weirdest, funniest fan interaction story you have since you started writing? Weirdest, funniest? It's an and or. You could be weird or funny or both. <laughs> okay, the problem is, is, is Seska knows me. Do you realize how hard, high the bar is to have it registered to me as weird? Okay, how about funniest? Doesn't have to be weird. No, I mean, I did meet Doug. He's kind of weird. He's very weird. Honestly, <laughs> for me, the coolest, and and this is just me. It's like I said, I've written fan fiction for a long time. When I was at Mysticon in 2020, uh, one of the people who came up to stop, talk to me was somebody who'd actually read all of my fan fiction. And so we were standing there talking about that. I just thought that was totally cool because I have a lot of fan fiction out there. And that's how quite a few of my current fans have found me. So is that My Little Pony love that you were giving? No, sorry. I do mostly Buffy. No, that's Mark Wandry that does the My Little Pony love. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Mark. I, I did not say Someone that. Has I had to. nothing to do with that comment. Now we're going to have to let him come on and do an interview just to defend himself in his honor. You just called him a brony. He is a brony. All right. You're creating more work for us. So ask her about what she's written. 
Beautiful segue there, JR. Beautiful segue. <laughs> Tell us about all the wonderful stories you've written that I've read <laughs> and the ones I haven't read. Oh, okay. Written. Written is easier. I thought you were going to ask me about all the books I've read and I'm like, how long? No, not read. I know better. We won't, we won't finish tonight. <laughs> or this year. Well, uh, you know. Okay, so right now I've got three three major series out. I have the Twisted Luck series, which is the current one. Uh, book four is coming out, hopefully, by the end of this month. And they're also out in audio, book one and two. Book three should start being recorded here later this month. And then, of course, book four. I have another completed series called The Kaylee Chronicles, which is shifters on Earth earth and they're caused by aliens and nanobots that's my science fiction where there's no magic it's all actually logical in that if you change from a human to an animal it takes energy which is calories which means that you have to eat a lot of food which is actually kind of funny at some points in the series and then the third series is called blood war that is still ongoing i write it with a co-author named doug burby and we will be getting book three out. It's just life has been more problematical than expected lately oh, with you know, and, the whole world thing. Yeah. And for the record, for those of us who are talking, who may have been concerned because we are making fun of a weirdo named Doug, that would be the Doug she's writing with. We'll have him on at some point and you guys can make your own assessment. We actually interviewed him on the old podcast. It's not one of the ones that made it to the YouTube, so we can't save it. But yeah. uh, if if those of you who listen to all the old ones, you'll you'll remember. So. All okay. right. So while all of those sound fascinating, we're here today to talk about your Twisted Luck series, specifically My Luck, which is book one. So where did the premise for the universe come from? Uh, how did you come up with the idea? Was it a Ouija board, psychedelics, overindulging in expired beef jerky? <laughs> Sleep deprivation from hanging out with me. Oh, well, now that one's a very possible one. I, honestly, <laughs> again, it's more of trying to tease out how do I have magic work logically? And I kept pulling it out and pulling it out to try to make it into a confined system. And then the characters took over and ran away with it. You like so, it like jerks. All right. Oh, and this is really jerky when it comes to that. And this is where we take a second to uh to dig into the cover. So uh we, we do like the way this image sort of pops. So I made it the full screen for you, dear listener and viewer. So how did you decide what to put on the cover? Tell us the origin story of this specific epic <laughs> piece of art. And I'll try to pretend like I know how to talk. Actually, What's really funny is, uh, so I was talking with my cover artist, and my cover artist is Ampersand Covers, and she is just absolutely awesome. And I mean, like, awesome in all capital letters. And originally, we had wanted to go with something from Neostock, and Neostock has really awesome photos. But we were trying to find one that would have multiple poses that could take us through, you know, 10 different covers with the same model. And I have the artistic ability of a kindergartner. In fact, most kindergartners are much better than I am. And we talked about it. I'm like, she works at a coffee shop. It's a small town. She's kind of sassy. She's got short hair. Here's the title of the series. And we came up with the graphics. I worked with a friend of Seska's, Diane, to come up with the symbols that are tattooed on all the mages. And so that's what that top is, are the mage symbols for chaos, order, and spirit. And I threw all of that at my cover artist and I went here. And she came back and went here and I went, oh my awesome. So yeah. trust me, if you so, have a good cover artist, you can talk to them and let them come up with the cover. So this is where we're going to take a second where we stop for just a second talking about Mel and we're going to talk about the cover artist who did her cover and designed those designs. Diane also designed the logo for the um, Blasters for and podcast. Blades. So this logo right here 
you should be taking up your screen for us is the was designed by Mel's friend, I think, or excuse me, Doc Seska's friend. I think you used to work with her at Barnes and Noble. Yes. Uh, at, at some point in time, as soon as she gets back with me with her finished website, we'll we'll put that out there. So if you're looking for your own art, and this was uh, when she designed this and she does the this kind of work, it was specifically so if we wanted to throw it on merch, like it wouldn't be as difficult to have it added to a t-shirt or something. Because if you start adding crazy amounts of colors and and swirly lines, like sometimes simpler is better. But yeah, but yeah no, so it, that's... It was a great concept because... um. I am only marginally better than Mel. And by marginally, I mean, I can play with yarn. That's <laughs> So I'm only marginally be better than Mel at arts and crafts. So Diane was great because we were like, yeah, kind of like think bubblegum crisis 2040 for a helmet for sci-fi. Yeah. So, so you know, she, she's, she was really talented and she gave us lots of options in, um, and steered us because this is not my forte. So and so, this is where to show you what uh, what Mel was talking about. I zoomed in back to her books. Now we're twisting. Uh, Mel, can you see that on the screen too? Yeah. So which one yeah. is the so symbol? The first uh, one is spirit. The, okay. the first one is spirit. The one in the middle with the number is order, and the one on the far is chaos. So spirit, okay. so order, that's and chaos. So that's the art she did for her, uh, I guess that's styles of magic options for the player or for the players, for the order for the well, orders. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the world has it that all mages have to be marked. And so they're forced to have a tattoo on their temple. And so the tattoo will be one of those symbols. And that means everybody who looks at them, A, knows they're a mage and B, knows what what powers they have because everything that doesn't seem fair powers and, well it is and isn't part of it's the same equivalent of why you wore a six shooter on your hip so that if somebody's going to go up and start trouble with you they already know that you have a weapon and a mage can kill you very easily now they're probably going to get killed in response because this world has a pretty much a zero strikes rule when it comes to mages do breaking the law but it is a way so that when you interact with other people they understand that you are capable of doing magic and it really does help promote a level of politeness across the world that otherwise you might not expect because you're not going to go out and diss somebody and start being rude to somebody who has a fire tattoo on their temple knowing that they can boil your blood okay so a well magic society is a polite society <laughs> you got it so, so how is this is a deviating for just a second so doc i know the next question is yours if you hold it the magic how is that is that transmitted like from mother to, uh, to daughter from parent to child is it just something that's random chance it, it's for the most part random chance i mean the scientists have been studying it for a while and will will admit it does seem to travel in families why they aren't 100 percent sure but mostly it tends to just be magic chose that person and you can have the power levels in this world are hedge mage magician wizard archmage and merlin and merlin is the most powerful and hedge mage really can't do much more than maybe you know if they're a fire fire mage they can make their coffee hot again after it's gotten cold can i have that so power levels of power <laughs> that sounds like very useful that's a good one to have but so part of the problem is is that magic has a price and the price in this world is you have to make a genetic offering. Well, for most people, they offer fingernails and hair because that's something you can easily regrow. But the bigger the magic is, the more offering it takes. And believe it or not, I have a table that actually counts out how many molecules it is to do different types of magic spells. I might be a little obsessive at times. But we love you, or I love you. <laughs> so, 
Oh, I, I'll get Jr. to fall in love with me too. Just give me time. <laughs> All right. Well, before we make everybody sick, uh, why don't we move on to the next question? So, how did you decide exactly what to put on the cover? I don't. I I tell my cover artist to make me happy, and she does. I tell her, "Here's the title. Here's a couple major things, like the next one, the new book that's coming out." I'm like, it, "There's an old Victorian house, and so there's an old Victorian house in the back." <laughs> and my cover artist does all of it, and I go, "Ooh, pretty unhappy." So you don't do like this deep, meaningful, because the next question I should be asking you is, how do you see this fits in the genre of urban fantasy, fantasy? And I think you're just going to say, my artist is great. <laughs> oh, no, that, for that one, that, that is called, I go to Amazon and look at the covers, but so does my artist. I mean, if you're doing this stuff, you're at Amazon looking at the top hundred artist covers. And if you notice, uh, Downs and Rebecca Frank are two of the really huge urban fantasy cover artists right now. And they're charging big bucks for their covers. And this is the sort of stuff that sells because the readers are looking for these sorts of covers. And it's one of the hardest things to do right now is to do any cover that doesn't really follow what's expected because that's what readers are looking for. This cover grabs you because it tells them, A, there's magic, it tells them there's going to be a female MC, but it doesn't necessarily scream romance. And I've got a lot of males who are reading these books and telling me they really like them. I do think the lack of romance really, really does separate you, but we're, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. So where, what would be your 32nd elevator pitch for this novel? Just because everybody else has magic, I don't need it. I will make it out on my own. If only my best friend will stand besides me. Okay. That sounds like my life. <laughs> I think for a lot of us, it sounds like it. <laughs> so, but, um, but see, and, you know, it's funny. I've gotten criticism for that because people always want this big bad. Okay. There's a monster, a dragon, a demon or something you have to fight. In my series, most of the time, she's simply fighting to make it through the week. You know, it's not that she's fighting this big, huge bad, especially in this book. She's fighting to pay her bills. She's fighting to get her homework done and to get to work. But yet everybody yeah. who's read it has said they enjoy it, even though there isn't this huge villain she just has to defeat. Most of the time, she's just trying to make it through the day. Now you said homework. Is she a high school student, college student? At college. In my world, <laughs> you don't get magic until after you are done with puberty. So most people, quote, emerge anywhere between the age of 18 and 25. Awesome. I So what you will actually you started to answer what makes your or series in this world very specifically different than a lot of the other ones. Cause I mean, urban fantasy is a, a huge shelf space. It is. Um, part of it is that there is no magic is very much, everybody knows about it. It's not hiding in the corners. It's not a secret world. It's not only a select few, everybody it's regulated. There are, there's an amendment in the constitution about magic. You know, so this is very much in your face. There's also no lusting or, oh, I have to be with him sort of crap. I, I mean, I'm not saying that's bad. Lord knows I read enough of it. But <laughs> I didn't want to write where half of the story is one person or the other trying to get in bed with somebody else. It's not as interesting to me as some of the real things. And I know that people have said before nobody wants to read about somebody you know being late to work because their tire got flat but at the same time we've all been late to work because our tire was flat and it makes it a lot more relatable and understandable yeah because i mean i have one scene in here and this doesn't give anything away it's just funny where she's waiting for the bus okay 
Most of us have taken a bus at some point of our lives. It's pouring rain. She's waiting for the bus. And the bus driver pulls up and hits the pedal and soaks her. So she is now drenched head to toe to go to work on her first day at a new job. How can you not relate to that? Sometimes getting through those little things like that is much more stressful and frustrating than having to fight a dragon. Yeah. Well, they wear you down more in some ways on a day-to-day long-term basis. But um, so which tropes do you feel like my luck hits the best? Coffee addiction. I did the coffee addiction trope really hard. You are specific about that. Is that really a trope or is that just reality? I actually know at least three people who do not drink caffeine. I haven't figured out what's wrong with them yet, but I do know them. Two of them are related to me that you know, so I would say that may be what's wrong with them. Is it like a is it like a a devil? Is this like an exorcism is required kind of event? I, I do not understand. No, this does not compute. Yeah, I don't either. But um, honestly, I think the biggest trope is just the person finding themselves at the center of, quote, being chosen without necessarily being the chosen one. Because I've avoided that whole being the chosen one pretty hard. But it's more of just finding yourself where you're the only person who can make a difference and having to make the choice to make that difference. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. I probably am not really good at tropes in this novel. It's a weird novel. The other ones I, are better at the tropes. <laughs> I like that it's not a tropalicious novel, though. So delicious. Okay, that's going in the dictionary now. Hey. You're welcome. So she's heard me use that word before. Um, but so what jo- subgenres or genres do you think your story best fits into? Um, it, it's, it's magic realism, college age magic, and new adult. All under the urban fantasy. And then, like I said, because, or sorry, we haven't talked about this. We were talking about this before. My main character, partially because of the fact that I didn't want to write a romance in this, my main character is asexual and her best friend is a lesbian. I wasn't trying to hit any any social stuff or anything. That's literally just how the characters evolve. So you have two best friends and it just works but it also I've had quite a few people tell me that it's really nice to see an asexual character and a lesbian character be in a story where it's just who they are they're treated exactly the way you would treat any other character without any fanfare about it I mean almost nobody even makes a comment about it because it's just the characters and I'm really enjoying the idea of getting to play on the whole oh he's handsome i have this character looking at him going okay i can see why somebody would find this person physically attractive he's still an asshole and that's her entire reaction you don't get that changing of the character's opinion because he's good looking or sexy and that's actually kind of fun to not have the sexual attraction work I think this, I, I've seen, um, having read all of the series so far, I've seen a couple of moments where you really use that to uh, add some levity into some very tense moments. So, so besides being um, being asexual and best friends with a lesbian, what uh, what would you say makes your character stand out in the crowded field of urban fiction or urban fantasy? Excuse me. She's very real. I mean, at least I think she's very, very real. She worries about money. She worries about her homework. She's frantic to be independent. And yet she puts everybody else ahead of her and never thinks about, she's not very full of herself. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love some of the super powerful, badass females that 
come in and they know they're powerful, she's still, even in book four, she's still trying to come to terms with the fact that she is a really powerful mage. And how do you still do that and just be a person? And that's a lot of what the story is. It's, it's not so much about how do you kick ass and take names? It's more of how do you balance having all this power and still be somebody you like? All right, that's a good answer. So what about secondary characters? Are there any that you're uh, super psyched about that, that are your favorites? Carillion. <laughs> Carillion, Esmer, and Tirsane. <laughs> so <laughs> none of those are humans. hates me. None of them are human. So, uh, so is a cat. So what? No, I was going to say clearly, uh, Doc disagrees. So, as soon as you finish your answer, we'll let her tell her us who her favorite secondary character is. I don't know, Seska. Who's your favorite secondary character? I really like Sable. Sable's um, adorable. Sable's so sweet. And I can't explain uh, how much I love Sable and why I love Sable until you read book four. <laughs> Damn it. So, so does she okay, become my, a dragon with, okay. with magic and, you know, shoots, you know, lightning out her eyeballs? No, I think, pro well, I mean, I can, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler to say. One of the things I love about Sable is she's not she she is uh, romantically involved with somebody very close to Corey, but she does not try to control any aspect of that relationship between Corey and her friend who, who Sable's romantically involved with. She doesn't try and uh, she's not paranoid. She just accepts that that friendship, which could many people would want to say, oh, it needs to be more. There needs to be a romance element in it. She doesn't try and sit, do anything. She doesn't, she's not the paranoid girlfriend. She's not crazy. She's not, she just accepts them that for them, that is the way it is. And she's going to find a way forward. And she also, she, she does say a point, hey, look, I need you guys for me to do this because I'm because something may, may be making her uncomfortable. But at the same time, she's not really trying to change that relationship or cut Corey out of her friendship with her stable significant other. I think I did that without any spoilers. Well, I okay. mean, you know, the fact that Joe and Sable are together isn't really a spoiler. It, it's just, I don't think, I, again, it's not, not a polyamory relationship because there's nothing sexual, but it is a family. And it's a family that they're choosing to create. And that's what makes it fun. But see, for me, my favorite characters is uh, Corey has a familiar, and her familiar is a cat. C-A-T-H. It's actually the Welsh Welsh word for cat. Well, one of the things that a cat is, besides looking like a very large cat, is they actually have opposable thumbs. So the cat is perfectly capable of doing anything he wants, except for the fact that he's a cat. And if he can get a human to do it for him, that's a much better option. And then you have his mother, Esmir. Esmir is a force in and of herself, but again, they're cats. So think sentient, intelligent cats the size of a Shetland pony. They're very awesome. What about bad guys? Got any bad guys without spoiler? Without spoiler. Ooh. You know, the only bad guys really appear at the end of book four, and book five is going to have actual bad guys. I mean, book book two has a serial killer mage. And, oh, no. Yes. Book two is a serial killer mage, and book three has hired assassins. So. 
Next questions are yours, Doc. I posted because apparently our docs aren't documents aren't lined up. I posted it in the in the chat. Okay, that's fine. I was just gonna ask. So if your characters met you in a dark alley somewhere, um, how do you think you'd fare with that? <laughs> Which characters? I have some really creepy ones that I would fare very put it this way. If Bob and I met in a dark alley, I'm dead. Yes. Okay. But what about Corey? Corey would be like, are you lost? Do, do you need some coffee? <laughs> so. But the problem um, is, is Corey right now is a, well, okay. So I age my characters through the books. So when she starts, she's 20. The book that I'm writing right now, she'll be 27, 28. You know, so she is getting older and growing up but i mean i i think that's the wrong question it's not if i met my characters in a dark alley if a bad guy met my characters in a dark alley because i'm not particularly scary or intimidating most days but they might yeah, call you the bad guy what they'd do to you if they knew who you were the one who tormented them by writing all the bad stuff that happened to them oh i would be dead I, I would be sentenced to a spirit realm and I'd never make it out alive. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, no, we'd send Bob really, for you. Oh, really bad. What? We'd send Bob for you. Yes. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> um, yeah. So finally, tell us. Tell us about your universe, because in so many, particularly in fantasy, the uh, universe can be as much of a character as the actual characters you're writing about. Well, in my world, magic appeared in the 1850s. And one of the advantages of it is that it actually rippled across the world. So this isn't magic in America. This is magic globally. So you have mages all over the world and every country has handled it slightly differently with different rules and different regulations. And I mentioned this as you go through the series, you get these little glimpses as to what's going on. But you also have three realms because like I said, magic is chaos, order, and spirit. Well, each of those realms are kind of like a reality slightly outside of earth that have their own creatures and denizens that live there. So Earth is kind of complicated in that there's these rips from that reality to Earth, and that's how magic keeps slipping in. In fact, that's on what's at Area 51 or the rips into the other realities. <laughs> All right, well, we know this is clearly part of a series because it says so on Amazon. I see three of them are currently published. You said the fourth one is with the editor and you're writing the fifth one. So where do you see this series going? Where is the end? When is enough enough? Oh, no, no, no. I am very, very firm about ending series. I think it's going to end at 10 or 11 books. I can tell you the very last book is called Balanced Luck. I even mostly know what happens in it. And Corey will probably be in her mid to late 50s when that book happens. But it's going to be her growing up and getting older as I'm having fun with and that all of us here can probably relate to is the things and perspectives that she had when she was 19 and 20. She's finding them shift as she gets older and older and finds out more about the world. And it's having her evolve because what she's going to believe and think and accept as a 50-year-old is going to be drastically different than what she thought is that 20-year-old in book one. And so I'm having fun doing that, but it will end then. But one of the things that I've talked to various fans about is they'd like some novellas with some things. So I'll probably do um, a couple short novellas or short stories like uh, her familiar Carillion's the the incident when he finally understands how to use opposable thumbs. Let's just say um, 
never let a cat know that opposable thumbs and can openers and how salmon works. Your kitchen will never be the same again. So you said. Sorry, audience. It's a little bit of a lag. Sometimes making things a little difficult. But you you mentioned that the series is probably going to have about eleven books. Does that mean the universe ends? Like, are you going to move on to other stories in the universe, or are you done at the end of Corey's arc? I'd actually like to write a lot of stories in the universe because I have about 250 years worth of magic that I can write about. I've got some sketched out already. I've got about 20 or 30 different little mini series that I can write about at different times in history and in different cultures. I think it would be really fun to write some in Japan because the Japan in this world is totally different than the Japan in our world. In fact, Japan Japan is still a sovereign nation in that world. And um, the U.S. and Japan are not on good terms because the bomb at Hiroshima was done by a wizard mate who made a mistake. So it's a different world. Cool. All right. Next question is your favorite one, Seth. So, do we have aliens or are they just fantasy creatures from other planes? I refuse to answer that question on the grounds that it might give away story uh, story hooks at the end of the series. Okay, that is completely fair. So now, for the audience, th this next question, therefore, will be purely hypothetical, and maybe she'll draw in other series she's written so she can answer Saska's favorite question. It is my favorite question. How do you go about creating them when, uh, when you write them? Do you let nature inspire you? Do you picking pieces do you go shopping on the internet like what 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 jollies make up the new creature um, i actually like designing aliens but i usually start it from a sociological perspective and then work backwards so i go i need a race that believes uh let, let's say i i need a race that believes that they descended from the gods who came and visited their planet. So I start there and then I start picking out going, well, what sort of culture does that develop? How does that develop their reactions to other people? How does that mean they're going to interact if they ever meet other aliens? What sort of gravity do I have on the planet? Are they going to be very dense bone or very light bone? What sort of skills? So I tend to do a little bit of all because like if I go, okay, well, I want it to have a, the sun, their planet has a blue, blue sun. Well, what does that affect? Does that mean that the plants are going to use chlorophyll or are they going to use something else? Are they going, if it is dense gravity, do they have things that can fly? So I kind of pull everything looking at it, both science and culture. Because if you've read my Caleb stuff, you'll find that the draken, which was a, a species that I created, they actively raise and eat insects, which in all honesty is an extremely valid food source, but you almost never see that in sci-fi because we as humans have such issues with insects. And so I like poking and going, what would be logical things if I strip out the automatic human resistance towards it? I mean, if I told you that I kept a, a termite hive in my kitchen so that we could have grubs to eat with every meal you'd look at me like i was insane but in all honesty that would be an extremely ecological and sane way to have protein but well, i guess we well, no. we learned in a certain uh, movie adaptation um that changed it a lot of a Heinlein book that the only good bug is a dead bug so yes well that's true Really All right, next question. Okay. So is there anything we didn't ask about my luck that you want to share with us? It is really hard writing books that don't follow exactly the trope that everybody wants you to follow. But that's why we love but reading them. Better stories? Yeah. <laughs> it, I so. think it's hard because 
people want you to be able to say, oh, it's just like this or it's just like that. The best series that I can compare my left to, and if you haven't read this series, you absolutely have to go out and read it. It's called the, um, it's by Nathan Lowell and it's the Tradership series. He mm -hmm. writes stories about life. And that's kind of what I wanted to write with this is stories about life where you're just trying to live the best life you can, but you have to deal with all the stuff that comes at you. This just happens to be full of magic. That seems legit. Okay. Well, as this wraps up and, and comes to an end, <laughs> um, was there any, um, any other forms of media that are coming out in this universe or others that you write in, so RPGs, movies, video games, audiobooks? Uh, is there anything besides just the ebook and paperback that's coming out in these worlds that you want to tell us about? Um, I have the audio out for My Luck and Hired Luck. I will be giving my narrator the script or the PDF for Educated Luck here soon. So those are both out. Uh, Hired Luck is actually as of today, which is February, March 5th, 2021, is on Audible. They're still fighting with me on my luck, so eventually it will be up. And then if you are listening to this this week or next in the next week, on March 14th through the 21st, I'm in a five-book giveaway with Dave Butler, William Johnston and a, a couple other writers where if you win, you actually have us ship you a signed paper paperback version of the books. So if you follow me on my social media, you will see me start talking about that a lot here in the next two weeks. But if you know who David Butler is, you know you want a copy of one of his books. I'm pretty sure he's giving away the Jupiter Man. And I'm giving so, away my luck signed to you. This episode will air on Sunday, so 7th, I believe. So if you don't mind uh, hopping into the Facebook group, which is um, Blasters and Blades podcast on Facebook, uh, share that when you do that. And and then anyone that listen can, okay. can get the register. So, all yeah, right. Well, so now that we've uh, we've taken an hour of your time dear listener it's time to do the important stuff so mel todd is going to tell you dear listener where you can find her awesome content and buy all of her books and show her that you love her by clicking the buy and then writing reviews buy all button they really yes. should do that yes please buy them all <laughs> so where can they find um, you if you look for bad if you look for badass books so A-S-H, Badash Books. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I am not very active on Twitter, like at all, but I'm pretty active on Facebook, and I've been working on upping my Instagram by putting uh, little mini stories on Instagram. So, and then you can always find my website at Badash Books or Badash Publishing, and I publish stories and whatnot and if you sign up for my newsletter there you will get a bi-monthly newsletter that usually either talks about what i've got going on uh books that i think you might like and or free short stories including short stories in the in our the universe i'm writing with twisted luck right now and if you look on the youtube version you'll see scrolling across the bottom mel todd bad ash alpha sierra hotel bad ash books uh, and all of this will be linked in the description. Um, and while we transition to uh, how you can find us, we will tell you that if you want to support the show, because the the sponsorships are just books we like, uh, and are you know that we're not getting paid for the sponsorships. That's just our endorsement, really, probably more than the sponsorship, which we'll be doing some more of. We've got to create those MP4, MP3, MP something files. See, because I does the podcasting. I know there's an M and a P involved, but uh, so you, if you wanted to support, you could go to um, buy me a coffee at author J.R. Hanley, and in the comments mention podcast, and it all go to cover the overhead. And then, you know, if anything's left, it gets split equally among the three hosts. Uh, you can find our website at anchor.fm uh, backslash blades and blasters. Or excuse me, blasters and blades. Ooh, wrong podcast because that's somebody else. Uh, we'll try that again. Blasters and blades. Blasters, tack, and tack blades. You can find us on Twitter at SF 
underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. We try to remember to check it, but if we don't, we're going to blame Nick Garber because he's not here to defend himself. And so that works for us. Uh, you can um, find us on Facebook at Blasters and Blades Podcast. And because we don't have enough people following, liking, and subscribing on the YouTubes, we do not have uh, – I can't spell wimp without MP. Okay. Uh, because we don't have enough people who have liked, uh, followed, or subscribed and all the things on the YouTube, we don't have a dedicated URL. So it literally looks like somebody spilled a jar of uh, alphabet soup. So instead, if you just type in Blasters and Blades, you will be able to find us, and you can like us over there as well. And this is all; these are all the places you can find us. So this is the most awesome part. Thank you, dear listener and dear viewer, for spending some of your precious time for us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And uh, that's a wrap, people.